kind of a series on Jonah. If you haven't been with us, we went through the book of Jonah. And somebody asked me last night, they're like, okay, pastor, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I looked him straight in the eyes. I said, Jonah chapter 5. And he looked at me, and I could see the wheels are turning. And he, he's thinking, but he was so kind, he didn't want to say nothing back to me. And finally, I had to let him off the hook. I said, no, I, there's no Jonah chapter 5. But we're going to talk about Jonah. We're going to wrap up the Jonah series. And the way I want to wrap it up is, is Jesus himself refers to Jonah. Like, here's your sign. Here's a sign. Look at Jonah. And so we're going to look at that and see how it applies to us. And, but before we get started, you know, I, I love biblical literacy. I love getting us excited about the Bible. But how many knows a lot of times the Bible is really easy to misunderstand or even misapply in some lives? People like to do that all the time, don't they? You know, people think when I talk about the Bible to, to maybe some friends, Christians, or, or non-believers, here's what they think of the Bible. They think the Bible is mainly a book filled of, of people that gives us characters to show us how to live, right? And some of you may think that. It's just a book full of characters that show us how to live. And then some people think, well, the Bible is just really a list of commands, things we do and things you're not supposed to do. And there is, well, there is, there's truth to both of those statements. That's not the whole picture. But when you look at the Bible in one of those two ways, you can get yourself in trouble, can't you? Because if you look at the Bible only as a book of rules, then it's understandable for us to want to live by that book of rules because we think it's a good book. And so we try to live. And when you do that, you're already failing because there's no way you can live up to all those rules. Nobody in this world can do it. And so you're really setting yourself up to fail. And then you think, well, if I, if I base it off my life, off the characters in the book, okay, but those are all flawed characters. And so we're really not, not getting the whole picture. And so it, it's easy to do that with the book of Jonah. It's easy to look at the book of Jonah. Well, it's, it's about a character. It's about some lists of do's and don'ts. But it doesn't just give us an example of, of, of maybe how to live or how not to live or directions to go or follow. What Jonah is really doing, the book of Jonah, is really pointing to someone greater than him, a hero bigger than Jonah. It, it's somebody else is coming, a better way of life. And that's what the Old Testament does. You know, it's funny, nowadays, the Old Testament gets kind of a knock because they're like, oh, you don't really, really even need the Old Testament anymore. We got the New Testament. It's the New Covenant. It's... You know, here's the deal about it. If you, if you leave the Old Testament out and just adhere to the New Testament, you're missing out on this big, huge plan that God has. And how amazing it is as you walk through every step of the way, you say, God put these little things in place just to speak to you. That's what the Old, the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And points to Jesus' is coming and how he's coming, what it's going to be like. And so when you leave that out, you're missing all this that God has done for you. And so that's why it's important we take this whole book. And, and what do we do is when we're reading the Old Testament, we think, okay, how does, this, how does this teach us about Jesus? Or what does it show us about Jesus? How does it point to Jesus? And this is how we read the Bible. And it makes sense that, that we learn how to read the Bible from the Lord. 
And he takes, he, Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 24. That's where I want to start this morning. Luke chapter 24. This is one of the coolest stories ever. Like, I wish I was one of these guys. Because when chapter 24, we come along to these two guys walking on a road near a town near Jerusalem. And they're all boo-hooing because like, our, Jesus is dead. Like, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. We're so excited. We're pumped. We're going to reign. Remember, we're going to rule. And then he dies. And it's like their hope died with them. So they're complaining to each other. What are we going to do now? And they're walking down the road. And then Jesus walks up beside them. And they don't recognize him because there's some disguise going on. And, and they don't recognize him. And he asks them why they're upset. And they, they break it down. Basically, they tell him, our hope is dead. Our hope died with this man named Jesus. And now there's even these women. They're saying they saw him, saying he's alive. And so we don't even know what to think. We don't know what to believe. And so Jesus begins teaching them. And he starts off his lesson with a kind of a kick in their pants. Look at on the screen here, Luke 24, 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. He said that to me before, I believe. I'm probably not the only one. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to be part of that conversation? Like, that's my dream. Like, when I get to heaven, I want to say, Lord, can you walk me through that like you did with these guys? Walk you through the scriptures, explain the Old Testament, show them. And basically, in that, in that section, what Jesus is saying is, you're not getting it. You're not understanding. Have you not read your Bibles? And Lord shows them in their Bible every page that points ahead to his death and to his resurrection. And then soon they're in conversation, their eyes are open, and then the Lord disappears. And then Jesus shows up again with the disciples. Remember, he shows up, and they think he's a ghost. He's like, no, look at my hands, look at my feet. And they still don't believe him, we'll touch him. And then they start to believe in him. And then he shows them a passage in 44 to 49, basically the same kind of same context here. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to the understanding of the scripture. There it is again. Like I pray that prayer. Lord, open my mind. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to the understanding of the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead. And that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So when he says, he says twice now, right? And he uses verbiage twice, the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. And when you hear that, the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms, that's a Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, basically the Old Testament, this all speaks about him. It all points to him, points to his death, points to his resurrection. It's all about Jesus. So we learn from Jesus about how to understand our Bibles. And basically saying, I'm, I'm all through it. Like you read it, you see me, you learn about me. And so that's even including the book of Jonah. So now, this morning, as we wrap up this series, there's a couple things I want to show you out of the book of Jonah that we've learned. The first thing is we're going to look at Jonah and see our sin, right? 
And then we're going to look at Jonah and see our Savior. And so that's the two takeaways of this book that we're looking at. And so when you read the book of Jonah, you, you chuckle at his poor prophet, right? You're, you kind of laugh at him. It, you know, he he's makes all these mistakes and he does all this junk. And, and then kind of somewhere in chapter 3, the light bulb goes on. And it's like the joke's on us. The joke's on us because we are the prophet in the story, right? Look at this. Let me kind of recap the book of Jonah for us. So in chapter 1, the Lord tells this prophet to go preach to Nineveh, right? He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go to preach to those people, right? And so he gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction. And remember, we learned that anytime the Lord asks you to do something, that there's probably a boat ready to take you in the opposite direction. And we know that's the enemy. That's the enemy wanting to get out of there because the enemy does not want us to do what the Lord has for us. Maybe the Lord's calling you to go somewhere, and you get a job at this place. Like, well, you know, it just worked out. Well, I guarantee you, the enemy's going to work it out for you so you don't follow the will of God. That's the lesson there. So Jonah got on his boat. He goes the opposite way. And then we saw, see Jonah asleep on the boat, right? Lord wakes him up, the great storm, and then the sailors end up throwing him overboard. Uh, the prophet ends up in the belly of the fish. He starts talking to God, and we still think, well, he's not really genuine at this point. We're not sure, you know, but he's talking to God, so that's a good sign. And then, you know, in, in chapter 3, we see that he's like, finally, he's like, okay. Here's the funny part. When he finally says yes to God, where does God take him? He takes him right back to the place where he said no. Don't you love and hate that at the same time? You're like, God, I thought we got past this. He's like, yeah, but I still want you to do this. You're like, yeah, but God, we had this big fight. Now we made up. We're over it. But he takes you right back there. You're like, come on. I thought we had an understanding. But no, he wants you to go. Go back to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh. We see this. He goes. Here's the other thing I love about the book of Jonah. Like the prophet of God, he's the prophet of God that probably throws the biggest hissy fit in the Bible. He goes to Nineveh kicking and screaming, right? He doesn't want to be there. He's not believing. He got eight words to share. He says exactly eight words, and he wants to leave. He's praying they don't get saved. He's praying God just wipes them out, right? He's like, but I'll say it, God. I'll go. Reluctantly, he goes. He's mad. He's, he's doing it. And they all, of course, God does what he does. They all repent. Jonah's like complaining the whole time. Like, I knew you'd do it. That's why I didn't want to go there, right? And then we get to verse, or chapter 4. And chapter 4 is hilarious because Jonah is straight up mad at God. I'm like, he's mad at God because 120,000 people got saved. I mean, that's, you can't make this up. Unbelievable. 120,000 people get saved and Jonah is ticked off. And he's grumbling. He grabs his lawn chair. He goes out to the edge of the city. He wants to see what happens to the city. And we learned last week, God raises up this vine and Jonah's like, yes. Get some shade, gonna watch the fireworks, gonna see what happens. And you know, the next day, the God wipes out the vine, and Jonah's like, just let me die. I, I'm done with this. I, I'm, I'm mad, I'm done, I'm angry. And, and that's how it ends. And when it ends, what it does, it really invites us to see ourselves in the book of Jonah. And it reminds you and me, if you wanna be honest, that we are not different than Jonah. That we're in the same boat as Jonah, per se. That we too, now none of this I know applies to you guys, but I know I am disobedient and stubborn sometimes. 
but you guys aren't. I know that there's sometimes I am lazy. There's sometimes that I want to run away from what God is calling me to do. Again, I know this doesn't apply to you guys, but let's be honest with you. Sometimes the Lord has to wake me up. Sometimes, I know you can't believe it, but sometimes I grumble and I complain to the Lord. Sometimes we look down on those around us. Sometimes we're not too concerned about those who are different than us. Sometimes we care about more about ourselves than we do about the nations. And then I guarantee you there's times we forget that we are also the objects of grace. So whether you want to admit it or not, we're Jonah. We are Jonah. And so the book of Jonah makes, makes us look at ourselves and we see our sin. And so the other thing the book of Jonah does, it points to the Lord by showing us Jesus and his righteousness. Well, the book of Jonah does, it reaches ahead to a greater prophet, a greater missionary, that Jesus is a true and better Jonah than Jonah is. Because you know the story, Jesus obeyed the Father, didn't he? He left the glories of heaven, came to earth. He gave up his comfort. He laid down his privileges, right? The sinless one came to earth to reach the sinful. He didn't just reach one group of people like the Jews wanted, but he reached the nations of the world. He came full of compassion, full of kindness. He gave everything up that we might be one. So again, the book of Jonah pointed to a greater person coming. So we see our, our sin here in Jonah, but again, the book is about Jesus. Points to Jesus, points to his righteousness. Christ hears God's calling and does it all right. Like you could take a picture of Jonah and the exact opposite is Jesus. Jesus obeyed in every, every way. And here's the, like a nutshell of the gospel, is that if we believe and you guys know this. I'm not telling you nothing new. It's like a refresher course. If we believe, then all of Christ's goodness, all of his good works are deposited in our account. That's like tomorrow if you go to a bank and there's a million bucks in your bank. Like, whoa, how'd that happen, right? And that's how God looks at us. He sees Christ's righteousness applied to our account. When we see Jonah and we see our sin, but you also see Jesus, his righteousness throughout this book of Jonah. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Jonah's not the main character in the book. And that's what happens if you just look at the book of the, the, the word of God, you only look at the characters. You try to live by the characters, moral examples. You miss the story that they're not the main people in the book. God's the main character in their stories. God's the main character in the book of Jonah. Because look at it. The book highlights God's amazing grace towards who? Towards the prophet. God includes Jonah in his Ninevite mission, right? God pursues his running prophet into the sea. God rescues him. God puts the prophet back on land, calls him again, uses this reluctant prophet in a massive revival. It's funny, isn't it? Because the book of Jonah really is, Jonah's all about him. Jonah's all about his comfort, his want, his stat status, it's all about him. The whole book, he's just crying about himself. And all along, God's like, it's about me. It's not about you. See how we fit in the book of Jonah? Come on. 
Be honest. We, we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. It's all about us, about our comfort. Oh, I don't want to talk to him. I might get embarrassed. Oh, I don't want to share the word with him. They might think I'm weird. Come on. It's not about you. It's about God. That's what the book of Jonah is pointing you to. It's about Jesus, how God pursues us, how he uses us, how God didn't abandon Jonah, did he? He continues to give him relief and guidance. Come on, it's, it's not all about Jonah, it's about God. It's not all about you, it's about God. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see that very clearly in these pages. That God is gracious to this prophet. That he pursues Jonah by his grace as he pursues us. Because we're like Jonah, we're full of sin. And we're also like Jonah, we, we need a Savior. We don't just need Christ's goodness given to us. We desperately need what? We desperately need our sins forgiven. And so there's a tension right there that most of us won't feel if we don't want to think about too deeply at all. But forgiveness sometimes is something we assume, right? Like we think, well, God, you're just supposed to do that. That's what you're here for, right? That's just what you do. You just forgive. And the problem with that thinking is we... we we think we just think about forgiveness, but we forget that grace isn't cheap. That grace is not free. You know, I love that saying. This is one of my favorite sayings: "Is that free is never free, right? Come on, everybody understands that. You're like, oh, it's free. No, 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 it's not. You want something from me, right? Oh, come to a free lunch." Yeah, but what do you want? Like, I need to bring my checkbook because it's something you're setting me up for. Right? Free is never free. So just understand that. And we're talking about forgiveness. We assume, well, it's just God's business. It's what he does. Well, understand this. It was never free. It's free to you and I, but there's a cost associated with it. Think about it. If someone close to you betrays you, it's not easy to forgive them, is it? No. You're hurt. You're offended. It's going to cost something. And so you got a couple options, right? First option is, one of our favorite options is, we make that person pay. Through consequences or through wrath, they're going to pay, baby. Right? They hurt us, we're going to hurt them. That's kind of option number one for a lot of people. Option number two is what? So if they don't pay, then we got to pay. Right? We take it upon ourselves. We absorb it, and you forgive. Somebody's got to pay. There's a debt. Somebody has to pay. The cost has to be placed on someone, and forgiveness is costly. In the same way, the Lord, he's holy, he's perfect, and we're sinners by nature, by choice. We're just like Jonah. So either we pay for our sins here and now, eternity to hell, or he pays. We may not have to pay for it, and we, salvation is free, but never forget there was a cost to your salvation. There was a cost to your forgiveness, and it was not cheap. But we need a Savior, and He paid the price. So the second way that Jonah here points ahead to Jesus, he, he points to a means of our forgiveness. 
to the great cost of salvation. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42, and look at this cost. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil, adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to, to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And here's where Jonah comes back into our story. He's saying, No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, some greater, something greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So Jonah, the prophet in his crazy story here, points to someone greater. So what's, let me give you a little context of what's happening in Matthew here. So religious leaders, we understand this. They want to trap Jesus, right? They want to trick him. They want to, they want to get him in this device and say, boom, we got you. And they're saying, prove who you are. Prove who you say you are. And he's doing signs left and right. You read the Gospels, he's doing signs left and right. But they show the true colors, they ask for one more sign. You know their hearts are closed off. And what you see here is like a modern-day social media fight, right? Come on, be honest. People love to fight on social media. And you like to prove that you're wrong about Jesus. And all it is, they don't want to hear you. They'll never change over Facebook, but they just want to get it all out there. And this is what's happened. These guys are not going to change. They know where they stand. They know they hate Jesus. They don't, they don't, they're just looking for a fight. And so they're stubborn. They're wicked. They ask for a sign. Teacher, we wish to see a sign. And Jesus said, okay, only one sign is going to be given. The sign of the prophet Jonah, and, and they're religious leaders, so they know their stories, right? They understand that Jonah's disobedience, is, it, all the, the, the fish, all the second chance, they get this. But they, like some of us, we completely missed out on the whole point of the story. Verse 40 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days three nights in the heart of the earth. What is he saying? He's saying Jonah's time in the fish points to Christ's time in the grave. Jonah's new life on the shore points to Christ's resurrection and defeat of death. And that's a sign. Jesus said, that's all you get. But the stubborn, stubborn sinful Jewish people, they're like, well, this is not all. We need, we need another sign. And they wouldn't receive that sign. And really what you see is Jesus looking at him like, what are you thinking? I gave you a sign. And you didn't respond to Jonah's message. Look at the sign Jesus provided for you and I. You know, that's one thing I hear all the time. Pastor, I, I just, I'm praying for a sign. God, give me a sign. And God's like, I gave you a sign. It's called Christ, the cross, and the empty tomb. That's a sign. Here's your sign, basically is what he's saying. And it shows that he is God and he conquered the grave. And one day he's coming back and every knee's going to bow. We're going to be judged. Judgment's coming. What was coming for Nineveh? Judgment, right? Judgment was coming for Nineveh. They understood. They, they saw the signs. 
They ask for forgiveness. And so that's it. That's the meaning of the cross. That the gospel isn't that just we, we just believe that we're, we're, but we're given Christ's righteousness. And so now we can be unforgiven and our unrighteousness can be forgiven. But how does this happen? We know it's through Christ's death. And the tension between his holiness and our sin has to be dealt with. So we're just like Jonah. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're just like Jonah. We need the cross and we need grace. And that's what Jonah's whole little ride in the whale is pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the cross. It's pointing to our forgiveness through his death. So we see Jonah, we see our Savior, we see Christ's death, we see the resurrection of our sins. This is the book of Jonah. I'm going to close. I'm going to ask the worship team that you guys can come back up here. I want to close with another story from the Gospels that points to this. And this one's found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. Let me read it to you. And you, you guys know this story. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go, this is Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great wind storm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But there was a, there was in a stern, asleep on the cushion. There he was in a stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are per perishing? And he awoke, he rebuked the sin, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Does this story sound familiar? Like if we just read the book of Jonah, this story should sound familiar to you, right? A storm threatens the life of a boat full of men, right? Sounds familiar. And then one man lies a sound asleep, sounds like Jonah. He's awakened by the men who think they're going to die, right? Then it comes about, due to the, the, the action of men on board, they're freaking out, they're yelling, they're, they're hollering. It's the story of Jonah. Yet there's two important distinctions between this story and the story we find in Jonah. And this is what I want you to understand this morning. The man in the boat is also the Lord of the sea. He's God in flesh. The wind and the sea obey him. The second difference is the man in the boat doesn't have to throw himself into the sea like Jonah did. He remains on the deck. He takes care of the problem right there. He rebukes the waves because he's God. Maybe, there, maybe there's something bigger going on in this story. Tim Keller, a pastor and author, he, he writes about this. I love what he says. Let me read it to you. He says, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, one greater than Jonah is here. And he's referring to himself, that I am the true Jonah. He meant this. Someday I'm going to calm all storms, still all waves. I'm going to destroy destruction. I'm going to break brokenness. I'm going to kill death. How can he do that? He can only do it because he was the one on the cross. 
he was thrown willingly like Jonah into the ultimate storm under the ultimate ways, the ways of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only, thrown into the storm that he actually, that actually could sink us. The storm of eternal justice of what we owe for our wrongdoings. The storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept him away. So if that, if the sight of Jesus bowing his head to the ultimate storm is burned into your core being, you'll never say God doesn't care. If you know that he did not abandon you in the ultimate storm, what makes you think he's going to abandon you in the smaller storms you're experiencing right now? Because someday he's going to return and still all storms for eternity. And if you let that penetrate to the very center of your being, you'll know he loves you, he cares for you. And then Keller ends it this way. I love it. And then you will have the power to handle anything in life with poise. Why? Because you knew Jesus threw himself in. You know that Jesus substituted himself for you. You know that's the hope of the gospel. And that's how Jonah points to Jesus. That Jesus goes lower than Jonah, he goes to death. That Jesus goes higher than Jonah, he's raised to life, he ascends to heaven. And so the question is, how are we going to respond to the book of Jonah? How will you respond to the book of Jonah this morning? You see your sin, you're going to do something about it. You see what Jesus did, you're going to do something about it. Because I think it's, it's easy to get into these, these storms of life. And I know there's some of you in this morning, you're battling a storm. Maybe it's a storm in a relationship. Maybe it's a storm of a loved one. Maybe it's a storm of a, a work situation. Maybe it's a storm of a financial situation. But some of you are going through a storm and you're crying out, where is God? Well, the book of Jonah does, it shows us where he is. It shows us that he paid the ultimate price. He went to the ultimate storm, went to the hell, raised the life, conquered death, so you could win. So this great big storm he defeated for you. This whole book speaks of all that he's done for you since the beginning of time. He focused his love on you. You as an individual, not us as a people group, but you as an individual. He focused his love on you. Old Testament speaks of that. New Testament shows you how he came from heaven to earth, lived as a man, suffered as a man, humiliated as a man, died as a man rose again conquered death yet you think God went through all that to leave you alone now that's not logical I mean that's just common sense that he didn't do all that work to say good luck no the enemy wants you to believe you're all on your own. You're treading water by yourself. Look what Jonah's showing you. He didn't go through all that to see you fail. Would you stand this morning?
points to our sin, points to his righteousness, reminds us that forgiveness is not free, that it costs. Reminds you he paid the ultimate price for you. He didn't give up on you. Don't give up on him now. I love the story in the Bible where they're on the sea, and another storm comes up. He's like 20 miles away. He says, I see, I see you. I see you in the middle of that storm. I see you. I didn't do all this to let you be by yourself now. I think some of you in this morning, you're walking through a storm and you, you're about to the place where you're like, I give up. Maybe you're questioning God. God, give me a sign. God, are you still there? God, you're even real at this point. He wants you to know this morning. He's not done with you yet. He's not left your side. <clears throat> Maybe a road you're walking, you never wanted to walk, you never thought you walked, but you're walking it. You're not walking it by yourself. He suffered and died so you would not be alone. This morning, we're going to open up the altar. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to lead us. If you're in the middle of a storm, maybe you just need to come down and cry out to him. Let him wrap his arms of love around you. Let him reassure you. Given up on you. He has not done all this work to throw it away now. But you're special. You're chosen. He focused his love on you as an individual. This morning, he wants to tell you that. He wants to show you that. So would you come this morning?